and welcome to episode 28 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Hal Morris. Hal had a 13-year major league career and was part of the Reds championship team in 1990. He's currently the director of professional scouting for the Los Angeles Angels. Hal, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Ross, my pleasure. Well, Hal, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. Well, um, I, I guess my, my, my family... Um, uh, it always uh, loved the game. My 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 great uncle played for the Washington Senators in the 30s and 40s. His name is uh, Buddy Lewis, and my dad was a pretty good player. Um, so uh, you know, I, as long as I can remember, uh, you know, I had a I had a baseball bat in my hand. Who were your favorite players when you were a kid? Did you model your swing after anyone you saw growing up? Well, I grew up right outside Chicago, so so uh, I watched. You know, I followed the Cubs and the White Sox closely. Whoever was on TV, but Billy Williams was a, was a favorite of mine. Um, I, I loved watching George Brett, Rod Carew, um, and and I, I think uh, I don't know if I modeled my swing after any of those guys, but I but I certainly appreciated and uh, you know liked watching those guys hit. Baseball for everyone starts out just as a recreation. It's something you start playing as a kid. When do you start to realize that baseball can? be more than a recreation for you, that playing professionally was a realistic possibility? Well, my uh, sophomore year of, of college, I started to get some, you know, some inquiries for some, from clubs. Um, and then I think I realized that I had a chance to sign to play professionally. And, and in terms of playing Major League Baseball, uh, I think when I got to AAA, I started thinking about it, that this might actually happen. You were drafted by the New York Yankees in the eighth round of the 1986 draft. What was that day like for you? You know, it was the second day of the draft. They had done the first seven uh, rounds uh, the first day. So um, I think I anticipated being drafted before that. Uh, but that being said, I was still uh, thrilled when I was, was, was called um, by, the, by the Yankees. My good friend Casey Close and roommate from college had been drafted in the seventh round by the Yankees. And then Scott Kamenicki, uh, who also uh, uh, I had played with at Michigan, he was drafted uh, in the 12th or the 13th round by the Yankees. So we were very excited as a group. So after you're drafted, you're drafted in the eighth round, what were your expectations of yourself and of what your career may be at that point? I can't say that I had any specific expectations. I uh, thought that this would be, this would be a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to go out and, and see if I enjoyed playing and, and, and uh, I guess see where it took me. I didn't, I never felt any pressure to, um, to, to get to the big leagues. As I told you, my great-uncle played uh, in the 30s and 40s, and then he had told me, listen, even if you get to the big leagues, you're still going to retire as a young man, you know, and he'd always emphasize uh, education. So, you know, I, I, I didn't have any specific timetable expectations. I just wanted to go out and have fun. You struggled your first time around in A. Tell me about adjusting to that level of competition. Drafted in yeah, in '86, and uh, I was playing in Oneonta, which is in the New York Penn League, and uh, they had had a few injuries in Albany, so uh, I was swinging the bat pretty well. So they sent me over there to Albany. I think it's kind of a stopgap measure, which is a pretty big jump. I had jumped low A, high A, you know, I, I, I jumped, which is which is highly unusual. Um, and I went over there and I got a few hits, and then. Um, I, I struggled a little bit. The pitching in Double A was much more advanced than I had seen in, in the New York Penn League, and uh, I broke my hand and was out for the year. So um, I kind of got put out of my misery right there. But 
when you first sign, getting acclimated to playing every day is is a is a uh, a, a real process. You know, when you you're in college, you, you you play every day, you practice, but you don't play games, and, and the travel is not as burdensome. So that that was uh, part of that first year. You just you just wear out toward the end of the year. That's why when you're scouting, you got to be careful when you're going in and looking at these guys and evaluating them after they first signed that first year. You, you just have to kind of chalk it up and, and, and evaluate them the next year, I think. On July 29th, 1988, you made your major league debut for the Yankees. Tell me about that day. Well, I had been at I was playing Columbus. It'd been we had a day off in Columbus the day before that. I'd been at Kings Island. I went with a teammate of mine, Jeff Morocco, and his family, his his wife and their little girls. And uh, I got sick on some roller coasters, so I uh, was at home sleeping in Columbus. And I got an early morning call from the trainer uh, there in in uh, Columbus, letting me know that I was going going to Toronto that night to uh, join the Yankees. So. Uh, um, mixed emotions. I was I was not feeling well. I had to catch an early flight, but uh, that's probably the, the greatest day in your life as a baseball player getting called to the big leagues, uh, let alone for the Yankees. So uh, um, I got called up there to Toronto. Um, had to catch a couple of planes to get up there, and uh, uh, you know, sitting on the bench with those guys in, in New York was was quite a thrill. They had. You know, a lot of the great Yankees, Ron Guidry, Dave Rigetti, Tommy John, Dave Winfield, Ricky Henderson, Jack Clark, Don Mattingly, the list goes on and on. And and uh, I'd grown up watching these guys, so it was it was quite an experience. How did Ricky treat you as a guy in his first game? Did Ricky say anything to you? <laughs> uh, no, Rick didn't say a whole lot to me. You know, I mean, there there are a lot of stories out there about Ricky, and, and uh, I don't know if they're all true. Um, about his, uh, you know, about his, his teammates, but uh, he treated me fine. You know, I mean, uh, it, 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 when you're, as I later learned, when you're kind of a, a entrenched big leaguer and the guys are coming on and off the roster, it's, it's it's hard at times to make connections with those players. They're in and out so quickly. What adjustments did you find yourself having to make from the minor leagues to the major leagues as a hitter? I thought I had a lot of movement in my pre-swing um, preparation, you know, I had a, I had a relatively big leg kick and, and I, I had a lot of late movement. And what you find is that the pitchers in the big leagues, their breaking balls are a lot sharper. Their ability to locate them uh, is greater. Uh, so, so uh, you have to really calm down at the plate. You can't, can't have as much movement and um, scouting. This is something you see a lot, uh, but, as a young hitter, you're, you're not a, you know, you can't really uh, prepare for that until you actually get up there and you see these guys. So uh, um, I, I recognized I had to tone some things down and, and uh, you know, I just had to be quieter at the plate. Now, was that a hitting coach or a manager that was helping you work through those mechanics, or was that just yourself? How did those mechanic changes come to be? You know, a lot of it was kind of organic. I think, I think you just, you're up there and, and you're, and you're, you see better change-ups, and you see them in different in different counts than you would when you're in in Double A and Triple A, and uh, a lot of it came naturally, I think, kind of a kind of kind of uh, just observational. The Yankees traded you to the Reds in 1989. How did you feel about the trade at that time? I knew nothing about Cincinnati. I just had really disliked the Reds as a as a young uh, child watching them come in and wear the Cubs out. You know the Cubs used to get hammered by the Phillies and the Reds, and I hated both those teams as a result. <laughs> but uh, I didn't know a lot about the Reds. 
I had worked with Lou Pinella in in uh, New York, and that's why I was traded over there. Um, but I was joining Chris Sable and Barry Larkin, who were, you know, uh, you know, I knew I'd played with Lark for two years at Michigan, and I, and I knew Chris. Um, so that was that was exciting for me to get to play with some, the Michigan guys. Tell me about Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin, of course, inducted into the Hall of Fame last year. Tell me about him as a player and as a teammate. Great player, great teammate. Barry was an understated superstar, and you don't um, find many of them. Uh, uh, he, he was great in the clubhouse. He was very inclusive. You know, from the first man on the roster to the 25th, Barry um, treated you with respect. And, uh, and that's not oftentimes the case with, the, with, the, with the, really the, the, the superstars. But it certainly was with him. On the baseball field, Gold Glove shortstop. Uh, for any of you that follow the NBA, if you watch Suns Shane play basketball, Barry had that kind of quickness on the on the baseball field. His his feet were like turbocharged pistons. Um, he had a he had a great arm. He had you know he was cat quick out there. Um, and uh, you know it's it's one of the things playing with Barry as long as I did has hurt me scouting. Because that's what my expectation of every shortstop. Now that's that's what they look like, and and I've, I've learned to come that, that that is clearly an exception. He's an outlier, and uh, was just a, he's a fantastic, uh, fantastic person and player. When you get traded as a young player, do you feel like the organization? Did you feel like the Yankees gave up on you at that time? Well, I think as a young player, you don't understand the business that well. You're not to experience so so you're you're hurt a little bit when you get traded and you feel like you want to you want to uh show the other club that they've made a mistake and you've got an axe to grind and anyone tells you differently is 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 not being honest um uh but that being said uh, i was playing behind don madeline who was the the best one of the best players in the game at that time so it was perfectly understandable and uh there was not there was not a good fit for me there and so you know i you know i think it it certainly helped worked out for me and the Reds and, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how the Yankees felt about it afterward. Both Frank Catalanato and Bob Tewksbury have come on recently and they've each talked about how they, they kept notebooks on all, all of their opponents. You know, Bob talked about all the hitters he faced and when they would swing and Frank Catalanato tried to talk about all the pitchers he would face. He would keep all these notes. He would compare his notes with other teammates. Did you keep a similar notebook when you were playing? I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, you you became you know we played you play against the guys a lot coming up through the minor leagues and the big leagues, so you're familiar with the way they like to pitch you. When I go into Atlanta, for example, they like to pitch me away and play me away. So I knew for the most part they're going to throw me fastballs away early in the count. Uh, then they might show me something in off the plate and then go back out there. You know, uh, and that's just that's just the way they they like to pitch me and and. Um, you know, when I played St. Louis, St. Louis liked to cut stuff into my hands. Same with Houston. So, so I was I was kind of more aware of of the the, the kind of the broader um, approaches that clubs took with you, and that's you know that's typically what you do when you go into a scouting, you know, uh, uh, an advanced meeting. Uh, they 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 don't. Uh, it's it's not necessarily specific to a pitcher, but they're talking like this is where this guy's strengths are, this is where his weaknesses are, and I go out and go and attack them. So. Again, I I looked at the clubs more than the individuals. The Reds, of course, won the World Series in the 1990 season. Tell me about 1990. Tell me about that year. It was a lockout year, so we got started late. And uh, I I think that uh, the Reds had a lot of talent. They they had been successful the the two or three years prior to that, but they just weren't able to win the division. 
Um, and, and Lou came in there and, uh, you know, uh, a young Lou Pinello was very, uh, fiery, very emotional. And, uh, he basically got us together and said, Hey, the talent's in there in this, in this clubhouse and I expect to win. And, uh, and we, and, you know, and I think that, uh, we all bought into that right away. Uh, the lockout did not hurt us cause we were a younger club. We did not need a lot of time to get ready. Uh, we came out of the box quick. I think we started off nine and zero or eight and zero. Um, we start. We opened in Houston that year. Typically, you know, Cincinnati's at that point in time was always the, where you uh, the season started, but not that year. And uh, you know, we had a lot of speed. We had a fantastic bullpen, good hitters, and good defense. And uh, we were a, a perfectly constructed team for the playoffs because we had some power arms at the top of our rotation, and we had the best bullpen in, in baseball. So, uh, and then we had a lot of contact hitters, which you like to see in those in playoff games. You know, the guys with the, the strikeout a lot, not necessarily the best guys in, in a playoff series. Um, so uh, we got out ahead and we, we, we uh, held our lead in September. And we, you know, we, 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 we fell off a bit in September, but we, we were able to, to finish it out. And then uh, we got in the playoffs and our bullpen was unbelievable. The, our pitching was great. And, uh, you know, we had, we had the kind of players that could generate runs, and we did, and we were able to sneak by Oakland before they know what hit them in the World Series. Well, you beat that A's team in the 1990 World Series. What was the attitude towards those A's teams at the time? I tell you, they were a very intimidating club. Uh, going in there, you know, I, I was a rookie. I, I was just kind of looking around in, in awe of what the, 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 the players they had on those teams uh, but I'll never forget, we were sitting in the, the food room before the first game, and, and uh, Tony Perez walked into the uh, in there and said, hey, we're, we're going to beat these guys. And then uh, Pinello walked in right behind him, and, and uh, he reiterated those comments. He said, absolutely, we are going to win. And uh, as a young guy, it's helpful to have experience like that in, 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 in on your club in some capacity. You know, Tony had championship rings, as did Lou. And I think we believed in them. We went out there and, and uh, you know, we, we were a very brash, aggressive group. And, uh, I, you know, it didn't really matter to us that we were playing. What was that moment like, your first at bat in the first game of the World Series, stepping onto the field? You have to take a kind of a step back and then take a deep breath. And you're, you're aware of the, the magnitude of the, of the, the situation. But... Uh, then you get back into the box and it's, it's, it's just, it's just baseball. You try to stay calm, you know, and, and, uh, I, I felt it more my final at bat in the series. I had a sacrifice fly that drove in the game winning run in the fourth game. That's when I really had to take it. Cause I, I at that point in time, when we were so close to, to winning, I had to step out and just kind of gather myself and take a deep breath. Hal, we talked about Barry Larkin a bit earlier. I want to ask you about some of your other former teammates and contemporaries and get your impressions on them. Uh, tell me about Eric Davis. You know, I, I didn't get to see him when he had his really explosive years and uh, I think, 86, 87. Um, but uh, uh, even when I played with Eric, it was a gold-glove outfielder, uh, great presence in the clubhouse. Again, another guy uh, who is very down-to-earth. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a unique guy in, in the fact that his, his waist is only about 27 inches around. And if you see Eric today, it looks the same. Um, but he had this, the, 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 the speed of his hands and the whip in his swing to hit balls in the upper deck at ballparks. So, uh, you know, had he stayed healthier for a longer period of time in his career, his, the, the numbers 
he would have, you know, been a Hall of Fame, you know, worthy candidate. Um, and he would show you flashes of that. So I was, it was a lot of fun playing with him. A guy you faced quite often in your career was Greg Maddox. Tell me about him. Yeah, Maddox saw him a lot in Chicago and uh, later um, in Atlanta, obviously. Um, uh, he was uh, an extraordinary cer- cerebral pitcher, um, very observant, um, had a, you know, we, we, we have a, a grade on our scouting reports, uh, pitchability, and he had, was a, at the top of the scale in, in you know, in, in that category, he just had a fantastic feel for the game. He understood the game so well. Um, well what I loved about him, whenever he got two outs, he didn't care if you were on first or second. He'd let you steal second, steal third, because he was just concentrating on getting the hitter out. And uh, you know, he he uh, and he would do it. So uh, he he was just kind of a, a pitching savant. How about John Smoltz, his teammate? Smoltz, di- different, you know, kind of a different. Uh, um, type of pitcher, power arm. Uh, first saw him with with the uh, in the Tiger organization, in 1987, and he didn't throw a slider at that time. He threw a curveball, and it was a good one. And people, you know, the, I think the the term electric is thrown around a lot. I, when I saw him in in uh, I think it was Glens Falls, it was electric. The ball had a you could you could hear it. Um, and this is when he he threw harder, you know, at, at that point in time. But uh, he was also another very bright guy on, on the mound. And that whole that whole great staff, Glavin, Steve Avery, those guys were all very sharp. They understood the game. Uh, you know, he had he had power stuff, and and he was also bright and could command it. A guy who was never your teammate, but uh, was obviously a presence in the league at that time, Barry Bonds. What do you think of him? Uh, Bonds, uh, the best left fielder I ever saw. Early. You know, we we uh, locked up with those guys in Pittsburgh in the playoffs in '90, and and you know with Bobby Bonilla and Andy Vance like he must have thrown Chris Sable out five times at second base here. Chris is a very aggressive runner, hit balls down the line, and Bonds is able to to uh, to spin and throw. Um, he, he's you know he, Bonds is a was a fantastic player, fantastic player. How you played part of your career in what's commonly referred to as the steroid era. When did you first hear about players using? Uh, you probably started to see see stuff happening in the in the late eighties, and and uh, and then it the I guess probably accelerated more in the late nineties, and uh, the game transformed over a ten year period. A lot of players on that A's team you faced in the World Series have since been connected to PEDs. Was there suspicion? Around them at that time? Not, no, I don't think so. I, I, I not, not, not really. Um, uh, you know, in the in the mid '80s, you know, guys didn't really lift weights back in the in the '70s a whole lot. So, so you saw started to see guys getting bigger in the mid '80s, and then it again it kind of accelerated. So, I think the assumption was guys were just lifting a lot of weights, throwing around a lot of iron. You know. How do you think the culture or attitude towards PEDs has changed among players since the 90s? How has it changed to players now? I think the players are becoming stigmatized now, as, you know, by their by their uh, the other players in the league, their teammates, and I and I think that's you know I think it's a good thing. I, I think that in five years after this next collective bargaining agreement, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of, of eradication of, of of any PED use, you know. Um, I think the fines are going to get get stiffer, um, and uh, the deterrence are going to be such that it's going to be frowned upon. How do you think the steroid era affected you personally? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, uh, um, I was a line drive type hitter and, uh, um, uh, how much, I, I, I don't know. My, 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 my game was, uh, was, was not really tailored for hitting balls out of the ballpark. So I, I don't know if how much it affected that on me. When you retired from playing, you'd been playing baseball your entire life. How do you come to grips with no longer being able to play baseball professionally? It's, uh, you know what, it's, it's, a, it's a tough transition. And, uh, you know, it, re, you know I, I think everyone, every player that retires struggles with it. Um, it's not necessarily the fact that you've been playing um, on a national, an international stage. I just think it's, it's, a, it's a, a love of, a, you love the game. Uh, or you wouldn't have advanced to the point to that point, and uh, you you've honed these skills so that you're one of the the better players in the world, and then it's gone, you know, and uh, it's tough. There, I mean, there there are a lot of a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're watching a ball game or you're out of the park, uh, not always, but occasionally, you know, you 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 envision yourself um, in the box or out in the field, so. Uh, you know, it's a tough thing. It's, 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 I guess it's like kind of being a, like maybe a, a child actor, you know, or it's, although I guess you can act for the rest of your life. It, it, you know, you have this, you develop the skill set, and then in your mid 30s, late 30s, it's no longer helpful to you, you know. Tell me about the transition from player to scout and eventually into the front office. Who helped you learn how to scout? I sat down with, with Billy Bean one day and was getting his advice about, um, you know, a career in baseball, and he he told me he thought I would enjoy scouting, so he sent me to scout school, and uh, um, I, I I liked it. It was, it was an entirely different way of looking at the game, and 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 thanks. I I, and I never had any idea what scouts did. I, I I'd see them up in the stands, and and uh, know that they just got there early and watched the batting practice, but I knew nothing about the the methodology of grading and and you know how they their role systems and what have you, but. Um, anyhow, that's how I kind of got pushed in that direction. I started working for the Pirates. I, I did amateur work for a couple of years, and I worked with the Red Sox. Uh, Allard Baird, who's, who is fantastic, and, and those guys in Boston are, are, are great. Um, as are the guys in Pittsburgh, is, is, and you're seeing the results of that right now. Um, but then uh, was hired by uh, Jerry DePoto in, in Los Angeles. Um, so um, I, I think I've learned so much about the game scouting. You know, I never, I never looked at a lot of the nuances when I was when I was playing. I just went out there and hit. Um, so uh, it, it, it's it's really helped expand my knowledge. A few teams have scaled back their pro scouting departments. What can be gained from on-site, in-person analysis that can't be gained from film or statistics? You know, I think you know, I think the trend will uh, is going to go back. You're going to see more. Uh, I think the pro scouting departments are going to get larger um, and not smaller. Um, you know, uh, having played, I can tell you that there inf- you have inflection points uh, in your career from a developmental standpoint, and uh, uh, a lot of times you can't discern what these are when you're sitting in the office looking at the numbers. Because I will, I'll sit there and and try to evaluate players based upon, you know, um, what, whatever quantitative, um, you know, uh, oh, data I can get my hands on. Um, but, uh, you can't, you can't eyeball that. The other thing is, you know, like I've been out watching a lot of AAA baseball and you just looking at the numbers, you can't, you, you have to 
eyeball the, the stuff and the sharpness of the breaking pitches, the sharpness of the sinker. Because some things work in AAA um, that are not going to work in the big leagues. So, so you're going to find sometimes two pitchers, for example, with similar numbers in AAA, and you go lay, lay eyes on them, and you'll you'll know that one of this, one of these guys is not going to have that kind of success in the big leagues, while the other will. So I, I think you, you know, doing the quantitative analysis is invaluable, but you have to put eyes on guys. What kind of information are you gathering on players that you're scouting? Specifically, what are you gathering? Let's say you're going to go watch a left fielder. What are you looking for in that left fielder? You're looking for, the, you know, his athleticism. Uh, with, with any with any position player, you, you, you basically start with their bat because because if you can't hit, you're not going to play in the big leagues a long time. You know, uh, independent of how, how good a defensive player you are, you have to swing the bat in most any position. So you're really going to you're really going to focus on on their bat. Um, try to get a, a good feel for what they can do. Can they hit right-handed pitching? Can they hit left-handed pitching? Um, what type of hitter are they? What are the strikeouts going to look like? Where are they going to hit in the lineup? You're, you want to see their speed. Um, you know, you, you try to, uh, in your mind, determine uh, are, are they going to have roster on a 20, value on a 25-man roster on your 40-man? Are there this guy at September call-up? Um, they have up-down value. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, obviously their, their defensive ability and uh, versatility comes into play there, too. With all the information that gets gathered with front offices these days, how does that information trickle down to the players themselves? I think it. I think it can be given some of the information. You know, uh, via the, the the advance reports, will end up getting transmitted to the players. But you know, that's that's a fine line. You don't. You know, you don't want to, to burden these guys with too much information because you know, like I, George Brett told me that. He looked for a fastball every pitch of his whole career and adjusted, you know, and some, for some guys, that's how easy you want to make it. You know, um, <clears throat> I didn't like looking at a lot of film when I was playing. Some guys do. Some guys like to, they like to, and there certainly is, there, there are a lot more um, tools for, uh, you know, doing advanced work um, for, for, or, you know, getting advanced looks for, for hitters and pitchers these days. Um, I think the pitchers look at the information more closely, the advanced information, and they they like to uh, look at the the film of the hitters to see where their holes are, what their tendencies are, and you know some hitters do as well. But I think you got to be careful about giving these guys too much information. You mentioned Brett in that story, saying he basically was sitting on fastball every pitch. How much of hitting is guessing? I think the more advanced hitters will guess. They will sit on pitches. Tony Gwynn told me one time. He said, "If you're going to he, he sit on a slider, sit on it every pitch the entire bat. Something that he that he would do. He'd go up there and sit on a slider against a lefty. Um, so it's 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 player dependent. Some guys just want to go up there and, and and kind of air it out, while others are are playing cat and mouse game with with the pitcher at all times. So uh, um, there is definitely guessing that goes on. Uh, again, it's but it, it, it depends on the player." You've been on both the amateur and the professional side of scouting. Tell me what draft day is like in the front office or as a scout. Well, you know, I think it's, it's very exciting. Um, the amateur guys, um, you know, they, they, they invest their blood, sweat, and tears into uh, um, going out and seeing um, every amateur player they can find in the country that, that has the potential to, to play professional baseball and, and grading all these guys aggregating all the information, 
um, going back and double checking and, and cross checking these guys. So there's been a you know a tremendous amount of work that goes into it. They've they've sat down with the players. They've gotten background information on their on their family history, their makeups, uh, character, and uh, all that gets aggregated, compiled, um, and uh, you spend you know a week locked away. Uh, behind closed doors, trying to 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 get everyone ranked as as you see fit, and then when the draft when that day comes, you have a good feeling for who you'd like to have, um, and uh, it's it's pretty exciting. I've uh, gotten a chance to sit in the draft from the last couple of years with the Angels, and uh, it's uh, it's quite an experience. For a first round pick, the player that's chosen in the first round, how many times is the team or scouts seeing him beforehand? You know. Uh, that's going to vary. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Jock Peterson, who's, who's in AA, who's a big prospect with the Dodgers now. I was living in Palo Alto when I was working for the Pirates, and Jock, he played, you know, um, about five blocks away from where I lived. So, shoot, I'd go there and watch Jock take BP all the time. And and uh, if, if I was at home for any reason, I'd go, well, I'd go over there playing and i watch him play. So I saw him play quite a few times. Uh, but But I think in general – you know, with with the guy that's going in the first round, you might have all your cross checkers, all your national cross checkers, your scouting directors, your assistants, the GM. You might have eight, nine, ten people that have gone in there and seen him several times. So they could be seen 20, 30 times. Of course, working for the Angels, I want to ask you about Mike Trout. Tell me what you see in him as a player. Mike is um, he's a once in a generation player. Uh, the first time I saw him play was in the Texas League All-Star game a couple of years ago when I was working for Boston, and he's the kind of guy that takes your breath away as a scout because you just don't see uh, that blend of speed and power very often. I, I you know, Eric Davis, we, you know, we talked about Eric, although they certainly have different body types. Bo Jackson potentially from the right side, um, but uh, Mike is a spectacular player. Um, I think he's the, you know, he, he's, uh, I think he's a perennial MVP candidate. He can, he's a goal glove center fielder. He has great patience and vision at the plate with power. He's a, he can steal 50, 60 bases. Uh, he's a, he's a, uh, I've told people all the time that one of the pleasures about working for the Angels is that when I'm in Anaheim, I get to sit down and watch him play all the time. Trout, through his age 21 season, which is still going on, there's still a month left in his 21 season, he has the highest wins above replacement for any player in the history of the game. The players he's ahead of are Mel Ott, Ty Cobb, Al Kaline, Ken Griffey Jr., A-Rod, Rogers Hornsby, Jimmy Fox, Frank Robinson, Mickey Mantle, and Ted Williams. Do you think he has the potential to be that caliber of player? Absolutely, I do. Um, he he continues to learn at the plate. He's, to have the patience that he does at his age is extraordinary, you know. Uh, you know, here in September or in August, they've not been pitching to him a lot, and he's taking his walks. That's unusual at that age, extraordinarily unusual. The fact that he's willing, you know, he's not going to chase pitches out of his own. It's like George Brett, when he when he had that run at 400, he said, there are pitches I could hit, but I just choose not to hit them. I'd rather, you know, I'm not going to swing out of the strike zone. And, and Mike's kind of doing the same thing. So I do think that he is that same kind of player. Last year, the defensive metrics that are at least publicly available were very high on Trout. This year, they're mixed. Some of them are not as high. Do you feel like he's regressed a little bit defensively? Uh, you know, uh, I don't. I, I think that, you know, he's, he's played left field some, and, you know, he, he's moved around a little bit. Uh, but he was afforded the opportunity to make some spectacular plays last year. 
he had more chances to go over uh, walls and grab balls, and that has to come into play in those metrics. Um, so a lot of it's just kind of born of the opportunity, I think, you know. How do front offices evaluate defense? I think it's front office dependent. Um, you, you're going to have your scouts eyeball it, uh, but, but then you're also going to um, examine fielding percentages, all, you know, up through the more, the more advanced, you know, statistical work. Stuff. You've been listening to Hal Morris. Hal had a 13-year major league career and was part of the Reds championship team in 1990. He's currently the director of professional scouting for the Los Angeles Angels. Hal, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Ross, my pleasure.